Hello, my friends. I uh, wrote this podcast before I knew the verdict in the Meng Wanzhou Huawei extradition case. And I wrote it because I sort of thought I knew it was going to happen because the Chinese propaganda press said, oh, we won, we won. I thought, well, they must have hacked the courthouse. But in the end, the Chinese propaganda was false. So I quickly rewrote it with the truth. Uh, I think you'll get a kick out of that part of this, but some good news, some good news, some real justice in Canada. Let me take you through the case. Let me read to you a passage from the Meng Wanzhou extradition case today. I read about four paragraphs from the ruling. I think you'll find it interesting. Hey, before I do, can I invite you to become a Rebel News Plus subscriber? It's eight bucks a month, less than Netflix, uh, about 80 bucks a year. In fact, exactly 80 bucks a year if you buy the whole year in advance, so that's a discount. And you get Sheila Gunn-Reed's show and David Menzies' show, too. You can get all that at rebelnews.com. Okay, here's the uh, podcast. Tonight, last night, China claimed that Meng Wanzhou, the Huawei executive, would win her court case today, but she didn't. It's May 27th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're the biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. I've been through a few court cases in my life, and you can sometimes get a feeling for how it's going, usually, actually. But you're not completely sure until the court issues its judgment. Meng Wanzhou, the chief financial officer for the giant Chinese tech company called Huawei, who also just happens to be the founder's daughter, she seemed to think she would win her lengthy battle today in a Vancouver courthouse. Canadian police had arrested her in, I think it was December 2018, at the request of the United States, who wanted her for a variety of financial crimes, including for violating sanctions against Iran and for fraud and for stealing trade secrets, I think. I, I know what you're thinking. China would never do those things. Well, that's what Meng says, too. And she hired what I presume are the best lawyers in the country to defend her. She, of course, made bail. I mean, they could have asked her to post a billion-dollar bond for her and uh, it would be like asking, arresting Bill Gates. He'd pretty much pay whatever they want. So she's been enjoying her time in Vancouver as much as you can when you have a legal cloud over your head. But to be honest, if there was any city in Canada that you had to be trapped in, Vancouver would rank pretty high up there, especially if you're Chinese. There are so many Chinese amenities in that town. And I'm not just talking about Chinese restaurants and shops and luxury malls. There are thousands of pro-Beijing expats. I'm talking about Chinese nationals, not Chinese Canadian citizens in Vancouver who are still actively loyal to the Chinese Communist Party. They literally have a kind of Chinese military legion here in Canada where they still dress up in their People's Liberation Army uniforms and pledge loyalty not to Canada but to the Communist Party. So yeah, it's not been bad for her. Not so much for Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig, the two Canadian hostages kidnapped by Beijing in what they freely admit is a tit-for-tat. Unlike Meng, they were not released on bail. They have been kept in a prison of sorts in a form of torture. One report I read says the lights in their rooms never go off. I'm sorry, that's torture. 
They have been denied visits from family, of course, but also from Canadian diplomats. It's really quite shocking. China presents itself to the world, and certainly to itself, as a modern, leading, respectable member of the community of nations, demanding respect, running the world. Seriously, uh, China runs more UN agencies than any other country. The International Civil Aviation Organization, the Food and Agricultural Organization, the UN Industrial Development Organization, the International Telecommunications Union, and of course the World Health Organization. That's nuts. How did that happen? Well, with the support of sympathizers like Justin Trudeau, of course, who needs China's support for, in his case, his bizarre obsession with winning a vote of the world's countries for a temporary seat on the UN Security Council. Trudeau has spent billions of dollars in foreign aid, including to China, by the way, to try to bribe his way onto that worthless talk shop. I'm not kidding, just as the pandemic was raging through Canada, Trudeau went on a UN vote-seeking junket through Africa, literally meeting the most corrupt leaders in the world, knowing that if he couldn't convince our allies to support him, he could surely convince our enemies to support him. I think that's one important reason why he's been so soft on China. That's why he refuses to say a hard word about China, even though our two hostages have been held there for coming up on 600 days. That's why our shocking foreign minister just wouldn't, just couldn't thank Taiwan, the free, democratic, pro-Western Republic of China, when it sent Canada a huge shipment of clean, safe face masks from its stockpile. Don't offend the Chinese Communist Party. Don't offend the jailer of the two Michaels. This question is directed to the Minister of Foreign Affairs. On March 28th, he personally tweeted out a thank you to the People's Republic of China for donating PPEs to Canada. This tweet happened within three hours of China announcing that gift. Now, as it turned out, many of these PPEs were defective and could not be used. More recently, Taiwan donated half a million surgical masks to Canada. And yet here we are, two weeks later, and the minister has yet to personally thank Taiwan for its generosity. Will the minister now thank this free and democratic country for its generous gift to Canadians? The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, I'd like to thank uh, my colleague for the question. Indeed, we are very grateful to every nation for helping Canada. This is a global pandemic which knows no border. Uh, we have been expressing our thanks to many nations who have contributed. We will continue to do so. It is important at a time of pandemic, Mr. Speaker, that we don't play politics, uh, that humanity comes together. I can say to my COVID foreign minister's call, uh, the world community has come together to make sure that we would uh, make sure that supply chain would remain intact, that we would have transit up, that we would have air bridges. And we will continue, uh, Mr. Speaker, to work with every nation when it comes to health. This is a public good that we want to work together. We will with go everyone. back to Mr. Fast now. Well, Mr. Speaker, I didn't hear a thank you there. Anyways, today was the day the Canadian court announced its ruling about Meng's uh, extradition. Apparently, there were special rules put in place by the court to delay the announcement until 9 a.m. Pacific time this morning. Here's an independent news outlet in Vancouver called The Breaker. They said Associate Chief Justice Heather Holmes ruled that the lawyers for Meng and the government of Canada on behalf of the U.S. are not to receive copies of the double criminality verdict until 9 a.m. Vancouver time. So you can see the markings on that. That comment was posted very late last night. So the point is that there, the, the verdict would obviously remain a secret until 9 a.m. BC time this morning. But look what the breaker was replying to. It was a story from a Chinese democracy activist, um, Jennifer Zhang. 
one of my favorite sources for news, <coughs> excuse me, about China, she had written, wow, Chinese media is announcing that Huawei's Meng Wanzhou will be released after the Canada court finds her innocent, and she can return to China in four days. By the way, the court will decide her fate tomorrow. Wow, indeed. So this was all last night. That's a pretty specific moment. Will be released, will be acquitted, will return to China in four days, not five, not three. Well, hang on, how, how would China know that? Did they bribe the judge or alternatively extort or threaten the judge? Not impossible, but I very much doubt it. Just too risky in Canada. The vast majority of judges are honest, and in any attempt to do that sort of thing would probably be reported right away by the judge to police and CSIS. And it would cause a huge legal media and diplomatic scandal and likely create more prosecutions. So, no, I, I don't think the judge was bribed or extorted. But all night, and this morning, I was sure of this. I mean, the Chinese were so brazen about it, so adamant. If Meng had indeed won, I would have just assumed she had won her case on the legal merits. That happens. Canada isn't exactly known for the strictness of our judicial system. But I'm not so much talking about the verdict itself. I could, I could see her winning. I could see her losing. I'm talking about how did the Chinese government know what the verdict was going to be, whatever it was. How did they know in advance, I mean? and boast about it in advance, was it a sheer guess? That's a pretty big bet to make for a dictatorship that values saving face. Imagine getting that wrong. It would be like that newspaper that erroneously ran the front page, Dewey defeats Truman. Yeah, no, he didn't. That's a classic. So all night I wondered, I thought the most likely solution to this puzzle was that they just hacked the court's computer system or one of the lawyers or a cell phone or the whole system. I mean, for goodness sakes, she's the CFO of Huawei the leading tech, tech company in China, with ties to, the Chinese, ties to the Chinese dictatorship, perhaps the world leader in cyber attacks and espionage. This is sort of what they do. Huawei built itself on the grave of Canada's once great tech company, called, now deceased, called Nortel. They just hacked it, stole all the trade secrets, industrial secrets. Frankly, Canadian engineers built Huawei. China just stole that intellectual property. Do you think they couldn't just hack this information too? Do they lack the technical ability? Do you doubt they have the motivation? Do you think the courthouse in Vancouver has Pentagon-grade CIA-quality cyber defenses? Could even be a law clerk or a judge that just used a non-encrypted Wi-Fi doing work at the local Starbucks, maybe. So yeah, that's the dictatorship Trudeau most admires. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China. Um, because they're... You know, basic dictatorship. I don't know if you saw this over the weekend. Uh, Meng and her friends got all dressed up and went to the BC Supreme Court and posed for uh, glamorous victory photos on the courthouse steps. I'm serious. Look at that joy, that confidence, that certainty, that jubilation, that victory. Imagine doing that four days before the verdict is in. That's what you look like when you think you already have read the ruling and know how your story's going to end. That's hacking. That's Huawei. Imagine letting Huawei build the backbone of your company's telecommunications network. That's just nuts. And look at this story. Days before BC court decision on Huawei's Hmong, China threatens damage to relations with Canada. Yeah, mate, pretty sure the relationship are, uh, is already damaged right now. You're holding two hostages. You put sanctions on our agricultural exports. You're a tyranny that infected the world with a virus. And you've decided this is your moment to shine and do a Tiananmen Square in Hong Kong. Support for China has plunged to nearly single digits, according to new polls. 
Not sure how you could damage relations more, mate. Let me read a bit from that Global Mail story. The Chinese government has issued a new warning to Canada about further damage to the relations between the two countries just before a British Columbia judge releases a decision on an extradition hearing for Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. Canada must release Miss Meng and ensure her safe return to China at an early date to avoid more damage caused to China-Canada relations, Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Zhao Lijian said Tuesday. How's that anything but a threat? And how is it that we're so meek and submissive in reply to it, especially when they have our hostages? Oh, right, I know how. There's a level of, of uh, admiration I actually have for China. Um, because their you know, basic dictatorship. Yeah, here's some advice to any Canadians. Don't go to China. Not until Trudeau is no longer our prime minister. Too much risk that you'll be taken hostage. And 100% certainty that if you are taken hostage, the most Trudeau will do for you is, you know, send Beijing a sternly worded letter of apology. So it was a done deal, I thought. A stitch-up, as my friend Tommy Robinson would say. The Chinese already knew Meng would go free, so it looked like. But 9 a.m. BC time rolled around, and pff, she lost. She lost her application for the extradition to be dismissed. I couldn't believe it. Here's the court ruling. See for yourself. So just to be clear, she's not out of the woods yet. She had asked the court to throw out the extradition because, her lawyers argued, what she allegedly did might be a crime in the United States, breaking sanctions against Iran. But it's not a crime in Canada, which did not have those same sanctions on Iran. But the judge held that it wasn't the breaking of the sanctions that's the crime uh, to extradite her. It's lying to a bank about those sanctions in order to get a massive loan. Here, can I read to you uh, four paragraphs in a row from the ruling? It takes about two minutes to read. But it just shows what kind of person Meng Wanzhou is, what kind of company Huawei is, what kind of place China is, how the companies over there act the same way the dictatorship over there acts. There really isn't any separation line between the two of them. So this is from today's ruling. These are the accusations against Meng that today's judge says would be a crime in Canada, so they're legitimate to extradite someone to a foreign country to face criminal charges there too. So just for background, HSBC Bank, you've probably heard of them, just a very big international bank, very active in Asia. Uh, they had been in trouble before for financing companies that broke U.S. sanctions, and they like to operate in America. So they had been prosecuted, and as part of a plea deal, they promised to the United States government to be extremely careful in the future about financing um, sanctions breakers. So they saw some newspaper articles by Reuters about Huawei breaking the sanctions in Iran. So they got worried. So this is the fraud part. I'm going to take two minutes to read it to you, okay? You'll learn more in the next two minutes about Meng Wanzhou than you probably learned elsewhere. So read the, let me read this to you from the court ruling. I found it very illuminating. Ready? When HSBC then made inquiries of Huawei about the reports in the Reuters articles, various Huawei representatives denied the substance of the reported allegations. Ms. Meng requested an in-person meeting with a senior HSBC executive responsible for banking operations in Asia. And such a meeting took place on August 22, 2013, in the back room of a restaurant in Hong Kong. Very dramatic. Ms. Meng spoke in Chinese, and an interpreter translated into English for the benefit of the HSBC executive. 
Ms. Meng also showed a PowerPoint presentation written in Chinese, and sometime after the meeting provided HSBC with an English translation. In the meeting, Ms. Meng told the HSBC executive that Huawei's operations in Iran complied strictly with applicable laws and U.S. sanctions. She said that Huawei's relationship with Skycom was one of normal business cooperation in which Huawei required Skycom to make commitments to observe all applicable laws, regulations, and export control requirements. Ms. Meng said that Huawei was once a shareholder in Skycom, and she herself was once a member of Skycom's board of directors, because at that time these measures were necessary for managing Skycom as a business partner and for strengthening and monitoring its trade compliance. However, these measures later became unnecessary to ensure compliance, and Huawei sold all its shares in Skycom, and Ms. Meng resigned from Skycom's board. Ms. Meng said Huawei did business in Iran, but did so through its local subsidiary, and that Huawei subsidiaries in countries such as Iran would not transact business with HSBC. So Skycom is the company that Meng Wanzhou said, don't worry, we're not involved with them anymore. <clears throat> that would be breaking sanctions, don't you worry. I'll read a little bit more. So the HSBC Global Risk Committee met in London on March 31, 2014, to discuss reputational and regulatory concerns regarding Huawei and decided to retain Huawei's business. In reaching that decision, the committee relied on the assurances provided by Ms. Meng at the August 2013 meeting. About a month after the committee's decision, HSBC sent its letter describing terms for the proposed $900 million credit facility. That's the loan I'm talking about. And about a year after that, HSBC participated with other international banks in a $1.5 billion syndicated loan to Huawei. Although Huawei had sold its shareholding in Skycom some years before the August 2013 meeting, and Ms. Meng had resigned from Skycom's board, Huawei in reality continued to control Skycom and its banking and business operations in Iran. Skycom employees had Huawei email addresses and badges, and some used Huawei stationery. Skycom's directors and its signatories to its bank accounts were Huawei employees. The company that had purchased Huawei's shareholding in Skycom did so with financing from Huawei, and its banking and business operations were under Huawei's control. Huawei's true relationship to Skycom is said to have been information that was material to HSBC's decision whether to continue to retain Huawei as a client. False assurances by Ms. Meng at the August 2013 meeting in Hong Kong, misrepresenting the actual relationship, are said to have put HSBC at risk of fines and penalties for violating the DPA plea bargain and for new violations of the U.S. sanctions. Those misrepresentations are also said to have exposed HSBC to both economic and reputational risk. Okay, I'm done reading. But you see what went on there? In that back room in the Hong Kong restaurant? She lied through her teeth to get billions of dollars that HSBC would not have given her otherwise. That's what's against the law. That's called fraud. You may not agree with the sanctions on Iran, but that's not the fraud part. The fraud part is that HSBC Bank was doing its due diligence. It couldn't invest in Iran any more than it could invest in the Hells Angels gang or some mafia you know, gambling joint. It had to be careful. It demanded a meeting. It wanted the truth. It looks like they took it seriously, I think. I don't know. Meeting with the CFO of Huawei, the founder's daughter, no less. That sounds pretty authoritative. 
But if these allegations are true, and it, if, it, if it really does turn out that they were meeting with the Godfather herself, to keep with the mafia analogy, she lied and deceived and tricked to get billions of dollars from the bank, money the bank would not have loaned had they known of Huawei's true criminal activities. Look, I think that's just how a lot of companies in China roll. Get away with whatever you can. As long as you have the Communist Party in your pocket, you're fine. There are no independent police or independent courts or independent newspapers to investigate you or shame you or punish you. Keeping with the Godfather analogy, it's like the entire establishment is part of the protection racket, not just a few judges or a few politicians like in the movie. All of them are in their pocket. So Huawei becomes this mighty company in this corrupt swamp of China, and that wants to operate around the world, and corrupt terrorist regimes like Iran are only too happy to do so, but places like Hong Kong and HSBC Bank in the United States, well, they're a little bit more sticklers, aren't they? So the law-breaking thing doesn't go over as well there. So Meng Wanzhou must now stand trial for extradition. The Chinese propaganda I mentioned earlier that she would be let go, that was false. The tweets that had me puzzled all night, they were, they were a hoax, they were a lie. The celebration photo op on the steps of the courthouse, the premature victory lap, that was China believing its own propaganda, believing their own lies. Wow, it, it's, it's so much like that old movie on HBO, uh, Chernobyl, eh? I mean, they lie to each other, they lie to the world, and they, in the end, lie to themselves. That's a communist regime for you. Justice was strong enough today. Whether or not they were hacked, justice was strong. It's a good day for Canada, but I regret it will surely become a terrible day for the two Michaels held in a Chinese prison. Stay with us for more from Sheila Gunn-Reed, who was out at the Vancouver Courthouse today. you look at that. Patriotic protesters, Uyghur Muslims, uh, protesting against Meng Wanzhou, against Huawei, in support of the two Canadian hostages, Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig, and an interesting touch, waving an American flag. I saw a lot of Canadian flags there too, but of course the American flag is a symbol for freedom and for standing up to communism. You must admit that. We're joining us now via Skype. On location is Sheila Gunn-Reed, who went down there today. Sheila, thanks for making the journey. Hey, uh, it was good to get out of the house, and I'm so glad that I was here because this today was, um, it could have went either way. It was, today would have been a sort of a dividing fork in the road for Canada's foreign policy. Would we abandon the Americans and rule of law for the Chinese, or would we... Uh, would we do the right thing? And you know what? The rule of law prevailed today, at least for now. Yeah, I, I was really spooked last night because I started seeing yeah. official Chinese Communist Party propaganda that Meng Wanzhou was going to go free. And I thought, how would they know? I thought they would have hacked the courthouse and got a 
early copy of the ruling, which surely would have been typed up a few days ago on a computer that was accessible to the internet. So I was despondent about that and the fact that Meng Wanzhou did her victory lap photo op on the steps of the courthouse, that's a lot of chutzpah, but it turns out it was just them believing their own BS. I guess when you're in a, a culture of fear and flatter the leader, you start to believe your own PR. Yeah, there's a bit of that going on today. Um, the protesters here, they, when I interviewed them, they weren't exactly all that confident. Um, and a lot of that is because they know how bad China can be and how oppressive China can be and how it infects everything that it touches. And uh, so they weren't confident. But boy, after the verdict came down, just joyful and exuberant here on the court step. Well, that's great. Now, I know you've been doing videos and interviews, and we're going to have yep. those up on our YouTube page. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, tell me some of the things you asked people about or that they told you about. Uh, we just saw some of the Uyghurs. Those are Muslim yep. Chinese people who are put in mass detainment camps. Um, it's funny, Justin Trudeau never misses a, a Muslim event across Canada. He loves going to mosques. The one Muslim group he won't stand up for are Uyghur Muslims who I have observed with my own eyes. I've been to the Muslim province of Xinjiang, China. Very liberal, very moderate, not radicalized, not terroristized because they've been cut off from Saudi Arabia and Iran. It was actually yeah. my, my favorite province in all of China when I visited about a dozen years ago. Um, funny enough, they're the one Muslim group that Justin Trudeau won't lift a finger for. Isn't that strange? You know, the people here today, there's a very large Uyghur contingent, but also just normal Chinese people who have lived under the oppression of the Chinese who told me when I asked them, I asked them, do you think the Canadian government and Justin Trudeau are doing enough to protect Canada from China? And it was overwhelmingly no, that Canada doesn't take the plague of the CCP seriously. And let me tell you, there was a lineup of uh, embassy officials as well as uh, Huawei officials. So uh, either way you look at it, people who work for the CCP So in Chinese China. embassy. When you say embassy, you mean the Chinese yes. embassy? Well, the definitely Chinese not consulate. the Canadians. <laughs> yeah, so no, that wouldn't make sense because we wouldn't have an embassy. Uh, so you had a bunch of officials. How could you tell they were Chinese communist officials, just how they dressed or did they have pins they or buttons? All dressed. All dressed the same, uh, leaning on a wall. I recognized one of the uh, Huawei um, executives um, from, that's a Canadian. They're all leaning on a wall and they were taking pictures. And I got some footage of it, oh. of the uh, officials taking pictures of the protesters. And I did ask one of the Uyghur protesters, I said, look, are you like, are you concerned about this? And she said, of course I am, because I still have family back at home. And I can't even talk to them to even know if they're okay. And if these people saw my face, because she was wearing a face mask, she said, if they saw my face, my family in China is in danger and I would never even know. And so that's what these people on the steps here were willing to do to warn Canadians about the plague of Huawei and how the CCP is infecting, they said, Chinese politics, 
Chinese or Canadian politics, excuse me, and Canadian policies. Yeah. Well, isn't that interesting that they were taking photos of the protesters? China has been known to do that in Canada uh, against other protesters too, Tibetan protesters, Falun Gong protesters. And of course, these days, China is a world leader in facial recognition technology. Now, the mask might foil that, but I don't know. So um, that those, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that if Huawei and the Chinese communist uh, diplomats are filming protesters, they're uploading those faces in their database, their yep. enemies list. And I got to say, we're going to reach a point in time when Canada has to decide whether or not we like those kind of thuggish tactics being used in our own country by foreign nationals. And... And I have to tell you, my greatest fear today, Sheila, maybe you can give me your thoughts on this. I presume justice was done. I read the court ruling. It seemed pretty cut and dried to me. Uh, The allegations against Meng Wanzhou, if proven, absolutely form a crime in Canada. That's, That's the double test. It has to be a crime here and there. It has to be the kind of thing, reciprocity, that we would want a foreigner there brought here to it it has to be a crime here too is what i'm saying and defrauding the hsbc bank of billions in loans by lying about their illegal activities in iran that's absolutely a crime here so it sounds like the law was uh applied legitimately and carefully but my big worry is for those two canadian hostages because you've got the entire Communist Party who believes in saving face at all costs, I'm worried they're going to take out their viciousness on those two prisoners. Yeah, that's what some of the protesters here, um, they said that they understand fully how vindictive the Chinese government can be. And uh, it, it was heartwarming to see how much these uh, Uyghur and ethnic Chinese protesters care about the two Michaels. They actually called them our two Michaels, Hmm. which I thought was kind of neat. They were holding up signs and making sure that they are not forgotten in all of this, that they are being held political prisoners, kidnapped by the Chinese. Why? Because we tried to administer justice and rule of law here in Canada. Um, And they said, you know, this is something that... uh, a crooked in executive in China would never experience house arrest and the ability to appeal a, a court judgment um, that speaks to uh, the differences between our two court systems, obviously. Yeah. Well, I'm just so glad you went there, Sheila. Thanks for doing that. It's great to see rebel reporters out in the world. We've been cooped up a bit, too, uh, as long with everybody else. Of course, David Menzies has been out and about with his mask on, fighting uh, the civil liberties fights. But it's great to see you in Vancouver today, and Kean Bexty is in Ottawa today. So the Rebels are back, and I'm thrilled that you were out there, and it looks like you were well-received. I can hardly wait to watch your video reports, my friend. Oh, the protesters knew exactly who we were, <laughs> and they were very happy that uh, a pro-Hong Kong outlet was here to represent the other side of the story. Yeah, isn't that the truth? Well, all right. Uh, I look forward to the rest of your work. I know that you've got a lot of plans in that exciting city. So oh, much yeah. going on there on so many different fronts. We'll let you go now, Sheila. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, boss. All right. There you have it. Sheila Gunry joining us from the steps of the B.C. court. 
where this morning a verdict was released that Meng Wanzhou's application to have her extradition uh, dismissed, um, her application was not upheld. She must go through the full extradition, extradition process now. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hello, on my monologue yesterday about an update on LetUsReport.com, Donna writes, You have to win. Trudeau should not be allowed to select which media questions him based on what he pays them. You have as much right to ask him questions as CTV or CBC. I think so, and I want to let you know, I would never ask the court to command someone to talk to me. I mean, if you really want to ignore me, that's fine. We're suing, technically speaking, the Privy Council Office. That's the office that operates the civil service. Um, the nonpartisan career bureaucrats, they have to be nonpartisan. So it's one thing for Trudeau to say, I hate Rebel News, and I'm not going to talk to them. Well, I would never ask a judge to say, make him play with me, Your Honor. But the civil service denying us the right to put our question through, that can't be allowed. It can't be allowed. At least that's my view. Let's see what the court says. Jeff writes... I will be donating, my friend. I love you guys. Well, Jeff, thanks very much. I appreciate that. Um, I'm looking forward to the battle. I feel like we're doing something other media groups should do too, but they're sort of on the other side now. They've, they've joined the enemy. They're sleeping with the enemy. They're getting paid 600 million bucks a year on the newspaper side, $1.5 billion on the CBC side. Trudeau's bought them all off. No one's fighting with us. On our side, I mean. John writes, think ahead to July 14, 2020. Will there be any party invitations sent to all Rebel members after the victory? Rebel News must have March ready to go. Victory is the only outcome. Appreciate your positive attitude. I want to tell you, I'm keeping my expectations low. I thought we were going to lose our lawsuit in the federal court last October on the debate um, commission keeping us out. I thought we were going to lose. I thought, you know, I got to fight, though, even if I go down fighting. I'm, even if I lose, I'll go down fighting. I really thought I was going to lose that. And my lawyers said we were probably going to lose. They were very candid with me. They said, we'll take this fight, Ezra. But just so you know, we think we're going to lose. <laughs> they weren't quite that negative, but that's the meaning of what they said. I don't want to get my hopes too high. It's a long shot here. It's David and Goliath. Um, but we got to do it. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? On my interview with Lauren Gunter, Rosanna writes, all provinces should open now. Enough of this lockdown. Well, that's the thing. I mean, <clears throat> I, I was thinking about summer camp. That's one of the campaigns that David Menzies is running, opensummercamp.com. A, a lot of places across Canada have sleepover camps, sports camp, religious camp. Uh, just get away from the city. Get out of the, especially get out of, out of the big cities. People who grew up in rural parts or on a lake or a small town, they have a, a semi-camp lifestyle all year long. For, for people who grew up in the concrete jungle, get out of the city for a month, no cell phone, no Netflix, learn some sports, get some physical activity, be with other kids, have some fun, be a little bit more grown up because you're on your own. That's a great experience. And um, by the way, it's, it's a lot healthier than the alternative. So isn't the answer for sleepover camps like that, especially day camps too, if you don't want to go, don't go. If you're afraid for your kid, all right, I'm not going to tell you not to be afraid for your kid. It's your kid. But you should know that kids really don't get sick from the coronavirus. And thank God not a single kid in Canada has ever died from the virus. But if you want to be scared, you be scared. But how come I got to be scared too? And how come the summer camp has to be scared too? 
That's what I don't get. That's the show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. And keep fighting for freedom. Thank you.